Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Huntington, and in this episode, I talk to the founders of Market Muse. I have talked to Aki Belog in the past, and we had a solo interview, but this one, the other founder, Jeff Coyle, joins us. And this is actually a sort of a repurposing, a rebroadcast from a YouTube live stream. However, I... I've done a few of these, so I hopefully have developed some skills in that I'm able to do a live stream where we can easily follow along with just the audio version. And that's what we've done today. So kind of a cool um, piece of background is Jeff Coyle and I went to Georgia Tech at the same time. So we both started in 1997, which sounds like a really long time ago. And Gosh, it was. And then he he graduated in a normal amount of time, and I took about six and a half years, but that's how it goes sometimes. But anyway, in this interview, I talk to them about just content marketing in general, and we spend quite a bit of time on a new piece of functionality in their suite, and that is First Draft, which is sort of the AI-driven, well piece of functionality. I don't know how, to, how else to say it, but you can put in some topics, feed it an outline, and you can get essentially a first draft. And again, we spend time on exactly how a person should use and use first draft and what you should expect with AI in general for writing. Because some people Of course, honestly, we're all lazy. We're all a little bit lazy. And it would be best if we could just give a piece of software one keyword phrase and get the content that we want. But usually there's a little more work than that, both on the front end and the back. So anyway, I'll let Jeff and Aki talk about it. These guys are really smart. And sometimes I think about how I've done this podcast and I have a few episodes under my belt and I can get such smart people to talk to me because at the very beginning I was really just talking to myself in a closet. I literally recorded in a closet for many of the early episodes with no guests. I just riffed and talked about things and uh, it was a bit of a mess. So I'm going to stop there and I'm going to send it over to the interview. If you haven't checked out Market Muse before, I am an affiliate, so I get a commission if you do sign up, but it's worth checking out. There's a full suite of content marketing tools, and they are kind of the, I don't know if I want to say the godfathers, but they were doing this sort of content marketing and optimization tool set long before many of the other tools that are on the market now. So they have, uh, I feel like, a bit more understanding and maturity in the on-page optimization area. So check out Market Muse if you haven't before. And let's hear from Jeff and Aki. We have Aki Belog and Jeff Coyle. How are you guys today? Great, great. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And people are going to be filtering in, so they will be watching the replay in the future. So we're, we're just going to jump right into it and they're going to catch up. So I would love to get an intro from each of you guys and just hear a little bit about your background and what you do at Market Muse. Go for it, Ash. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I can go first. Um, I'm co-founder and president at Market Muse. I started it um, eight years ago, um, essentially was looking to apply AI and big data, you know, machine learning analysis to content, because at the time there just was absolutely no other, there was no way to model content through AI for SEOs and for kind of casual use. The only 
tools out there were either owned by Google or were locked up in some big corporation somewhere. So wanted to essentially democratize that and give everyone the ability to analyze the quality of their content, analyze the quality of their site. So started working on that thesis for a couple of years and then Jeff joined and Jeff had been in doing this it, it, it manually with a large team for a long time. So we figured a one plus one equals five. Let's take the AI automation that is possible and things that, you know, that are not possible and let's add it to all the workflows and the things and the problems that Jeff is familiar with it, having been a practitioner and and together we formed Market Muse and fast forward to today it's it, we'll get into it but it it it's really been just uh feels like the first step in a journey but it, it's been quite uh quite a, a an impactful journey yeah I'm uh, I'm Jeff Coyle as Aki mentioned um I'm the co-founder as well, uh, chief strategy officer, which means I'm looking at kind of horizon scanning right now. What are we going to be doing at the end of this year? What are we going to be doing at the end of next year? And also some of our new innovations, like we'll talk about a little bit later with our natural language generation and our data offerings a bit. Um, my background, I've been, I'm a, I went to Georgia Tech, which I'm sure we'll probably cover, Doug, uh, and uh, computer science. Um, and uh, worked at a company called Knowledge Storm, where we were generating leads for software companies before people even had content on their sites. And then um, we were acquired by a major publisher, where I got stripes with you know large editorial teams focusing on content quality. And I like to tell those two pieces of the story because you know it's all about you know generating traffic, high volumes, generating leads, generating revenue with content. Um, but like Aki mentioned, it was all manual. I mean, these processes we learned about, you know, they were they were rough and we were trying to impart data with our, you know, content strategy, search engine optimization, conversion rate optimization focus for a long time. Um, and only when after meeting Aki and seeing some of these things that could be automated and that could be innovated against, it wasn't just about data analysis. It was about truly, you know, focusing artificial intelligence and machine learning. Could we take it to the next level and start to, you know, predict outcomes? With content, um, and that's where we are today. Being able to predict outcomes with content is really the kind of the holy grail, and that's where we're operating. Were there any other products or any other software out there at the time when you guys started Market Muse? Not really. Um, I mean, I can kind of speak to it, and Jeff, I'd love to uh, also. It's always fun when both of us are on the same because we, we've we told the story separately and then we come together and both kind of chomping at the bit. But essentially, you'd, you'd be surprised even now, Doug, there are still not a lot of software solutions that actually do this stuff. Most people, everybody back then, and I would argue most people even today, use keyword volume as, they, as the kind of metric. So volume and competition, obviously. Basically, people go into a keyword tool, they get 10,000 keywords, they sort on volume, and and then just try to fit, you know, do some sort of math with, with some sort of difficulty score, and then just then get end up with a list of like a thousand things. And then they look at five things on the list, pull it out, and that's what they do. And it is not optimized, uh, which if, if it's a small site, that's one thing, I guess you can just write a couple of articles and it's fine. But if you're going for any kind of performance and if you're putting a lot of budget against it, it leads to massive amounts of waste. Uh, so, so no, not really. Uh, we had to build that data set. The, the only data set actually that did exist was bought by Google in 2011. Uh, and then they integrated it and they released it as a bunch of search engine updates, 2013, 2014 and, and onward. Uh, and that became the Google Knowledge Graph. So uh, we've tracked all the knowledge graph technologies out in the world. And there are, I mean, I can count them on one hand. Um, and 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 so that's kind of the, the the game we play. So most of the folks that we talk to are still doing most of these things by hand. Um, content that kind of topical optimization has really caught on, luckily, over the last couple of years. So that's something that is is a use case that people now are 
when I say people are familiar with it, it's like the top 10% of the marketers in the world know that it exists and are, you know, many of them are using it, but the, we're, we're still there below that, the peak tip of the iceberg, there's still a lot of just manual work. And, and that's one thing. And then we, there's like six other things you can do that are all related that people are usually doing by hand. Yeah, I think in the, when we first started in the market, there was a few um, keyword density analyzers, term frequency and correlation focused solutions, but nothing was really focused on what does it mean to be an expert on this topic? If I were going to cover this topic comprehensively, how would I do that as a way of objectively measuring the quality and comprehensiveness of content, which was our earliest mission at the page level? And nobody was thinking about how do I prioritize what I should be writing? And like Aki mentioned, the industry standard of search volume and PPC competition, because that was what Google AdWords Keyword Planner provided. You know, that was it. And now, even now, 90% of people are using that or a commodity data source from, you know, a free, you know, SEM or SEO platform. Um, but the, the perils of doing it that way are starting to become more mature, more mature, more mature. And you're also seeing, you know, situations where, you know, the... Um, people are realizing that term frequency isn't getting it done. Um, and they realize that in two ways. One, it just doesn't provide incremental value or they do it, they have a caffeine surge and then they have a caffeine crash. And that's really a um, uh, something that we kind of focus on is that we want you to be doing this from the lens of that which a subject matter expert would. And that's something that now, frankly, nobody has built still. <laughs> And to get sort of granular, Jeff, um, how would that manifest itself on a piece of content? Right. I mean, it really what it, what it boils down to is your the content is how it would manifest if you were doing it wrong effectively. You know, uh, Aki kind of mentioned it, but, you know, if you're sort descending by search volume and that's the words you're trying to use or that's what you're targeting, you know, if you think that that's the pages you should create, and that's how a you know an expert would have built content. It's not going to work out in the long run, and that's what you see. Um, what I always like to say is a sort descend on a Google AdWords keyword planner result is a great way to figure out the pedigree of your competitor because you can go out and see are those the pages they have, and that's it, right? First of all, I can predict what they're going to do next. Second of all, that's not how experts' brains work. That's not how you know real content strategists think. That doesn't cover the funnel. Right. So how it typically manifests is one page per word, huge red flag. Right. Or you've covered the stuff in a sort of descend on a search volume. Right. If you can find one of those two scenarios, you have a weak competitor. But it's also how it manifests when someone's thinking correlatively or based on term frequency. Got it. Very good. Well, let's see here. I see uh, some folks in the in the chat, so we'll just say hello to Caitlin, Adrian, David, 24-7 Marketing, and uh, Merrick. We will be answering some questions towards the end, so if you have any specific questions about Market Muse, that's great, or content marketing, that'll be really good too. We'll cover, we're going to talk about a lot of different things here. So I know one of the very recent rollouts with Market Muse was First Draft and um there's probably a few other things behind the scenes as well. So can you tell us about some of the uh, experience so far since you've rolled out market or sorry, since you've rolled out first draft in market muse? Yeah, sure. So um, market muse first draft is our natural language generation platform. And I like to kind of say it's our natural language generation platform because we built it. It is the really the only in market com competition uh, there's a few open source things that are about to be launched out, but uh, to uh, GPT-3 from OpenAI, which you can also buy as a res as a resale resold product through Microsoft. Um, and I'd say that that has been a long-term journey. And Aki, I hopefully I hope you add some of this because we both have our experiences internally as we've looked to innovate this. Um, but we were inspired by a lot of early natural language generation platforms that were very template focused. Uh, or rules engine focused. Um, and we knew we had some technology that would innovate against what was being done in the market by people like Washington Post with Heliograph 
um, people like um, Narrative Insights and, uh, you know, uh, and a couple of Aria, for example, very template focused, very, um, really specific use cases for financial or for, or for kind of macro SEO, uh, companies like Myers Media Group who are working with databases. Um, and so what we um, said was we can do this better already. Um, and then we took shots at it three or four years ago, three years ago, two years ago. And we we're like, nothing we built is ready because it's so expensive to build. And then with the most recent innovations in the space and the most recent kind of technological improvements, we said, oh, wow, this is actually becoming affordable. Um, being able to produce high quality content at scale is possible. Um, and now we're in the journey of improving the quality, improving the quality of the output, improving the quality of the output. And we like to think that we, th we think about this differently because we're trying to tune it such that it's written like an expert would have written it. Um, we are, and we're our own best critics. We know it's going to be an ongoing process. Our initial parlays into the market, we, uh, you know, we feel we've got comparables, but we're not good enough with comparables. We've got to put out uh, content that really is going to be able to be looked at. Um, our goal is to amplify experts, is to really take someone who's an editorial lead or a writer, and this is inspirational for them. It's going to make their job easier. It's not replacing. It's giving them the tools so that they know, here's the topics I need to cover. Here's the questions I need to answer. Here's the internal and external links I need to include. And here's like a way that somebody could have covered this. When you combine and you build these things as building blocks, that's when you can be successful with natural language generation. When you look at content and receive it and you judge it and you start to think, oh, this isn't quite right or this isn't as good as I could have done. Well, you're, you're not the right use case yet. You haven't gotten there. But our brains are broken. We judge good or bad very quickly. So what we're seeing is teams that are looking at this as inspiration and a way to amplify their expertise. They know they're going to have to create still. They're having major benefit already. But what I'll tell you is uh, the rest of 2021 is going to be pretty exciting in natural language generation. And our qualities, the model quality is just gets better and better every day. Aki, I know you, uh, from the standpoint of the first four A's, I'd love you to add some color there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the problem we were looking to solve, really two problems. One is what do I write about and how do I write about it? And mm -hmm. and that's all of the products that we have built either answer one or both of those problems. The thing about AI NLG, natural language generation, is that everybody gets excited about it because it's a very straightforward, the output is a very straightforward use case. Here's an article, you don't have to write it, the machine writes it. And the the vision of that, the the hope of that, I think my, uh, there we go, my video is, is an example of tech uh, not always working perfectly. The hope of that is awesome because it feels like a lot less work. But the reality of that is that there are a lot of steps that go into that. First, you've got to figure out what topics you have competitive advantage of. You need some sort of commercial insight that your business has some sort of differentiated value for your business or business strategy. Then there's a content strategy. Then there's content planning, looking at what do I have? What do I not have? What are the next five articles I should work on? given my site and my where I want to play and my campaigns. I mean, there's all this kind of pre-work. Then it's about structuring. Now I have a topic I want to focus on. How do I structure the answer? That, 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 you know, a couple more steps, what, what level of intent, and then you get to a final, uh, you know, final uh, 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 kind of outline that can be turned into AI. And in that regard, it's very different from like a self-driving car because self-driving car, you'd imagine you'd sit in, you'd put in an address and you just end up where you need to be. And there's absolutely no vision or interpretation or strategy. Content is different. And what we found is that when people just try to jump to the last step and they just want to hit a button and bam, here's the content, the, the output doesn't really work and it doesn't really have that human intelligence or synthesis or, or knowledge in there. So so we've evolved our product to basically be just the next step in a long chain of things that one must do to to really because the goal is you want to perform well in SEO and, and if you don't if you miss one of the steps you're not going to perform well. 
Um, so that's that's kind of one thing. The other thing is that we're engineers and we like to build our own engines. So our approach to AI generation was let's build it ourselves by hand so we can really understand it. Uh, and and the other products out there, we, we get a lot of questions about how does it differ from ABCDE, but there really are only a couple of engines out in the world. GPT-3 has four or five engines, I think, like DaVinci, and they've got a couple of engines that are out there. Uh, and we have our own engine, which does not use GPT-3. And so we can fiddle with it and tweak it and basically customize it to the specific use case that we're focused on, uh, which is is just makes it kind of an apples and oranges comparison. But, um, but, but that's really where we're going with this. I think a big differentiator is that these folks basically have API API licenses or you know what they reference as prompts. Um, in most cases, direct with OpenAI or can be as a reseller agreement with Microsoft. Um, and what they're building is skins and user user interfaces. Um, we're tuning just constantly on the back end um, and innovating on that side of it where with few exceptions, um, they have standardized access to an API. It'd be a lot like, you know, you building a tool with SEMrush data and then saying that, you know, you built SEMrush. Big difference. Got it. <laughs> and you mentioned your engineers. So you thought, hey, we want to try to build this on our own. Were there any assumptions that you made early on that turned out to be completely wrong? Yeah, I got one. <laughs> it's that um, people want to receive finished content in a Google Doc as the output. It's the, the that brain the brain break, and that was the biggest mistake, right? That we immediately realized it's got to be part of their process because we don't know their process. And Aki described it beautifully: that research, planning, prioritization, briefing, creating, editing, optimizing. You know, people go through different steps for all of those things. And to go from, I want to see an article about how do you build a, how do you get bees out of your garage? And then we deliver that and they read it. Guess what? You got two outcomes. I like it or I don't when you do it that way. And so we've got to make it part of the process. That was the biggest thing that we learned um, by getting, you know, our teeth punched in, frankly, on this is like, no matter what we would have provided. If you are an expert, you're going to read that and you're going to see things that you could have done better. And so people naturally, if they're testing this out, are going to give it something they know. You know, I'm going to give it something about beer. I'm going to give it something about computer science. I'm going to see what it says. Right. Um, and I'm going to judge it. And so what we learned was that's actually not the path. Um, and I think that a lot of people are realizing that or they're going to realize that the hard way. After that drug, first drug wears off, you're going to realize, is this thing useful? Is this you know, short form where I type in, you know, fun things and I see text, how much longevity does that have? And what we want to do is really enhance and amplify the, the true writer, content strategist, affiliate marketer, creator, and optimizer experience with this technology. And we're going to do it. I'll, I'll add two more uh, learnings to that just over the, the years. It would be interesting to anyone who's an entrepreneur, which is all of us, <laughs> everyone listening to this probably in many ways. One was that the when people think about AI, they typically think of the machine doing the work for you. And they think of a future where humans basically are just kind of like sitting around or something in a floating in a in, a, in some sort of a pool of sustaining liquid and then robots are zipping around and and they've replaced us and they think for us and then they like eat us or something that's that's not the ai that could happen one day who knows happen in the matrix uh but um but it's ai is really more uh human augmentation so in the early days we would go to experts and say look we've got this thing it's going to give you insights and the expert would feel some sensitivity and say, look, I've been writing about blah, blah, blah for 25 years. Surely it can't know more than I do. And it doesn't, but it knows differently. It has a pattern recognition ability that humans can't match. And the humans have a thinking and synthesis ability the AI can't match. But if both of them work together, actually the, the best results we've seen were from experts using the system 
an expert gets a lot more value out of it than a novice. So that was a really big one. It's just that AI means human augmentation, not replacement. And the, the second big learning for us at some point along the line was uh, requesting budget and the ROI because SEO and content people are absolutely like us. We absolutely know that content works really well. And if you crush it on SEO, it's going to have so many downstream impacts, not only the lead gen, but your sales team can use the content to fuel their sales conversations and their knowledge bases. And all of these are so obvious to, to us. And these obvious things are completely non-obvious to money people. So VCs, your CFO, uh, most C-level people, even sometimes the CMO just doesn't hasn't yet understood that, for example, um, when I look at brands, SEMrush actually publishes a list, or they used to publish a list of the biggest brands in terms of search traffic, like Fandom is one of them. It's a huge brand based on its just its actual search performance, but people tend to think of you know Geico and Nike and Super Bowl commercials, and that shift from enterprise to like web, you know, enterprise 2.0, where you're just in everybody's brains on the web, that's a big deal. And so we we found that we need to take a role and build tools to explain the ROI impact of how the tremendous amount of money that this would make so that a CFO can just check the check the box and allocate the budget to it. That was always kind of, it's like the difference between Main Street and Silicon Valley or Wall Street and Silicon Valley. We, we've had to explain that a lot. And that was always a big, uh, a big, big hurdle. Yeah, I mean, naturally building uh, expert systems is tough too, because you're, you know, like you said, like in, in content specifically, and your audience will know this very well, you're judging at the individual page level, but you're also judging at the cluster or the niche level, you know, the concept level. All the content you write, you know, even if it's 100 pages on this one topic, right, all contributes to the overall authority, authoritativeness and success of that site or site section. Um, and that's really hard to communicate to someone who hasn't even bought on to the fact that content's valuable. So it's like, you're, you know, you think about it, right? You're like, okay, well, content, okay, what is valuable to me? Sales, leads, whatever it is, whatever I associate with it. So I'm only going to maybe give direct attribution. And then I'm trying to tell you that like, no, Doug, actually every article we wrote, even that basic definition article provided enough energy and power and momentum to have led to these leads and these sales. Man, that's a tough sell. <laughs> and that's yeah. really the, that's sell. and SEOs are not, familiar enterprise buyers, right? They don't buy expensive things typically. Um, and so that also, they're unfamiliar uh, with complex sale. Um, so they internally like to build, they like tools, they like small things, uh, like pieces. So enterprise systems have long in the market been maligned actually. They've, they've kind of been like, most SEOs are like, oh man, I had to buy that blankety blank system because my company made me these large companies, right? Um, and that also added another layer, uh, to kind of learning. So I, yeah, I, I, we can go on all day with the, uh, mistakes, mistakes we make, but you know, for us, we, we really stood on building great solutions that actually work. And now we have to make sure that everybody knows how to use them. And that's our current, just ongoing every day is we love watching somebody who's truly like Aki mentioned, augmented and enhanced and amplified. We watch those sessions and we're just like, yes, this person gets it. But then you also watch the same one where someone walks in, clicks a few buttons. You can see they get frustrated and you're like, okay, how could we have done that better? So and that's just on whenever you're building software, that's, that's the, uh, the yin and the yang, you know? Oh yeah. And we do, we have a comment over here from 24 seven marketing. I love the focus of market muse on topics instead of keywords. The reports make it so much easier to actually write articles that include related concepts instead of related keywords and some of the mistakes. Yeah. Any, um, you know, you guys are for the podcast listeners, you, the guys are cheering back there, but, uh, yeah. Any specific comments on, on that? I gave the devil horns on that one for anyone not watching, but basically what, I, what I'm saying there is the cool thing about what they, what they say in that comment is we're also giving insight on how to differentiate your content. 
And I think that a lot of people, especially in the affiliate marketing space, they're instructed on how to copy, copy their competitors. It doesn't work at scale. There's a lot of reasons why, but some of the things that really, when you do real topic analysis and real, really focus on what it means to be an expert, you start to see the things that differentiate your content. And then your writers can run with that and truly write content that's special. Um, and that has an impact. That has an impact on everything you do now and everything you'll do in the future because you're differentiated, stickier content, differentiated. People have an expectation. So then when you do write that guide, more people care about it because, and you already had some foundation. And that that comment, by the way, that makes me, that's the reason why me and probably Jeff as a founder get up in the morning is to see that because six years ago, seven years ago, almost nobody understood that. It was maybe one out of a hundred people uh, knew that because everybody just was looking at keywords. And now, and, and and so that the market there has developed, which is great. And there's a lot of content and whether we call them entities or topics or related something concepts, it, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And everybody knows that inherently. Now we're there with content clusters. So uh, content clusters is a concept have been around, but the ability for people to kind of wrap their heads around it and think about a cohesive cluster strategy is the next level and we're trying to make that easier and easier with with software uh but but that's where that's where most of the value the, the trick with content clusters is it, we don't have a a topic ranking engine we just have keyword ranking system we have keyword trackers so we could put in a keyword but you we don't have a system where you can put in a concept and it tells you your cluster and all the other concepts on the web for everything um, that would be multi-dimensional and very hard to visualize so what we do in market news is just we look at it one site at a time and we can connect those clusters for one domain uh, but but people are still kind of uh, it befuddles people why why is something ranking in i'm trying to optimize for this thing but then this other thing is also going to be impacted and those second order effects are hard for people to kind of think through or visualize but but that is where it's at i mean basically if if, if somebody writes the best article on a concept it's going to perform for a lot of keywords and if they connect that and to that thing to another thing or other things, it's going to do really well. And, and that's the way to success. It's just at that point, it gets, it gets challenging to visualize. Yeah. And we've shortcut that by really focusing on kind of, um, I guess, industry gotchas. So things people are not doing well in their processes. And one of those is we've innovated in the, in the difficulty space, right? So we have a solution that will give you your existing authority on a topic. So how much, how often do you, do you have success? What's your breadth of coverage, your depth of coverage? When you cover this topic, how often are you doing it well, basically? And then trying to use that to predict how hard it will be for you to grow or rank on a topic. But personalizing that, because we know that unpersonalized metrics for difficulty are the reason why it's broken. It's broken. Everyone's broken who's using it because you're having to guess. You're having to really guess. And, you know, there's a reason why I can go write the best article ever written on the brand new iPhone and I can go put it on jeffsblog.com or I can throw that same article on CNET. It's going to rank real well on CNET and not well on my site. And the answer to that question isn't just links. And for years, people have thought links was that only answer. It's never been the answer. It's never been. But there hasn't been anybody who's known why and has also been inspired to build software around that why. Um, and that's really where we step in and say, yep, we can tell you with pretty good degree of certainty that if you cover this really well, it's going to be successful. Um, you just have to, yeah. you know, no shortcut. Oh yeah. Talk about another lesson learned in this voyage is back in 2016, Jeff and I and our team built a set of insights for a large healthcare provider. And it was like a database of 5 million things that they should do. And we gave them the database and they're like, gosh, this is cool. But what the heck do I do with this data? Like, oh, you have to, you know, query it. We're like, you know what, Jeff, we, we probably should just give them like five things to do these five things. And then tomorrow do these other five things. Okay. And, and that was our solution. So that's the prioritization opportunity framework we've got now. Yeah. Got it. 
So quick note from us, a couple sponsors here. I'm just going to leave you guys on the screen in the interest of me not messing up and like disconnecting or something like that. So Ezoic, they have a new piece of functionality called Leap. It replaces a site speed accelerator, which hopefully with this new, I don't know when it's coming out, but the Core Web Vitals update, you're going to be in good shape. You're going to get green. They are, Ezoic is rolling out Leap on a small scale right now for beta users. All the functionality is free if you're monetizing with Ezoic. Do you guys know the people at Ezoic? Nice. Oh, not, not yet, Aki? Not, okay. not I, I'm a, I'm looking it up. Okay. Yeah, I know Exotic real well. Um, yeah, they're that's really cool that they have a core web vital solution. Uh, I think that's really the hot thing to be putting out. So it's going to see who who's going to have the best uh, best item. That's exciting that they are because they know their game. Very cool. And are you guys, as a company over at Market Muse, doing anything for core web vitals or site speed or anything? We are not innovating in that space right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, like specifically we're, we're for your site, are you fixing anything up? Like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 you gotta, yeah, but we're, we're actively partnering with, um, actually, I gotta get Ezoic on our radar, uh, but we're partnering with these companies. Yeah. But we are also updating our entire site right now, um, just with that focus. We've already have pretty great scoring on that, but we're kind of going for going for the gold because, frankly, it's, it's like the, uh, um, you know, having a great, you know, architecture, you know, it, it's what gets you the ticket to the party. And then the content is the party. <laughs> you know, if you're not, if you don't have the invite to the party, you, you can't get there. And that's where, you know, technical SEO um, really makes it so that you can succeed with content. Uh, if you've got those problems, sometimes you can't even get in the door. Indeed. Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it. I think if you, if you uh, do good enough and you're not the worst in your little your little cohort, you're probably going to be okay. But uh, yeah, you can't completely ignore it. And I, I'm happy to introduce you guys to my contacts over at Ezoic. I know the CMO, so we'll follow up later. And we have a couple questions, which they fit in perfectly with the Q&A segment sponsored by Niche Website Builders. So I'm going to read out a couple of these here. So uh, Merrick says, can AI content generating companies employ people to work with AI to refine content before delivering to buyers? And any thoughts on how it would work with Market Muse? I don't even have thoughts on that. That's an offer and we have. (laughs) So yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, giving people... Uh, but what we've learned is there's more to it. You've still got to have, you know, a shared understanding about what refined content or tuned content is. You got sh- to really work on that brief together, at least go through a few motions, get a few pieces of validated feedback. Um, but that's something that, you know, sh- can and should be done as a service um, still. Uh, and, it, and it's something that, you know, we provide as part of our professional services or called final draft final draft i like the clear naming by i mean i'm an engineer too and uh Mm -hmm. it's just the most obvious name you got first draft you got final draft there's briefs in there too right yeah it's one of those things where that was actually feedback i received from a community that i'm in who where you are also it was saying like don't tell people it's done you know (laughs) you make sure they know clearly that it's an early version. So we're, you know, we're, we're continuing to think about how we position that, but always, you know, we want you to think that this is helping you succeed um, and it's not ready to roll. And that you don't want that because then you're going to judge it um, very harshly. And, and that's really the, what's going to make and break these companies. Very good. And Michael says, I know you can model a specific domain for competitive analysis, but how can one combine the use of other search analytic tools such as uh, Rio SEO, Bright Edge to work with Market Muse? I don't know the context of the question exactly or the other tools. Do you guys know what he's talking about? I'll let Aki yeah. field part one and I'll roll part two. And hi, Mike. How are you? Y- yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's a familiar familiar name in a small world. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, Market Muse is a huge, huge multiplier to a bright edge deployment or conductor or whatever people are using for rank tracking and tracking the performance. Basically, these are all BI systems that show you the historical perform performance of your keywords and pages, and they're adding topical features and shows you it like any good BI system, it shows you... you know, looking backwards what worked and where are we and where's competition potentially getting ahead of you so so those are really great insights we're a predictive system so we show you hey you might want to place your bets here or have you considered this angle or if you have a particular objective here here's the optimal way you should make that plan to reach that and they work extremely well together so it's it's really um now in terms of the actual usage you might have to export from both systems and map it it depends on the depends on the we don't have any uh, hard integrations between these systems because we're pretty agnostic to to whichever rank tracker or whichever bi system or whichever uh, cms you use but 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 they are much more powerful when used in conjunction yeah, I like to say BYOK, bring your own keywords, because if you want, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with the topics as by reading your content, right? But if you're looking at a competitor, you know, you can actually inject a competitor in market news and understand where they have strengths and weaknesses. Um, but you can also take all their topics and all their keywords and apply them to your site. And that's a real big differentiator, because I can see, you know, everything that an, a competitor site is doing. Um, how how great am I at that? How much authority do I have? How much advantage or disadvantage do I have? And so if you're looking at the outputs of a Bright Edge or a Rio or, or a conductor, it's a bunch of words come from a database and then various slices and dices of them um, with some other tools that layer on top. If you are to um, use that as your tracker, that's great. Um, pull out the outputs and test your assumptions. Is what I'd say. Build that plan only with that offering, then bring it into Market Muse and see how much more fidelity you receive. Um, that's way that we have, you know, huge customers who have learned that we take it to the last mile for prioritization. Um, and there would have been so much waste had they not taken that last step uh, to adjust what they were focused on. And there's a lot of blind spots. I mean, you you naturally have bias. You know, if you're covering a topic. Um, you might for have forgotten some things. Um, and if you're doing it keyword focused, string, substring focused, which all those platforms do, um, you're going to be stuck in the, the in the strings versus things situation. And then marketing music is going to give you that additional inspiration to say, oh, wow, here's the answer. Here's the question I need to answer within this article. Here's a topic that I would have missed if I was just using substrings. Um, when you combine those things together, what you end up with is a better content presence, a better content inventory, um, and then cycle it back into those platforms and lather, rinse, and repeat. I mean, those are the teams that are crushing it with us. Very good. And I want to highlight something you mentioned earlier, Jeff. Actually, you even prompted me and said, hey, we should probably talk about this. So I'll, I will give credit where it's due, and it helps me be a lazier interviewer. But... <laughs> In, in a lot of this stuff that I do, it's all about how can we do this and get results as quickly as possible? Essentially, the get rich overnight uh, situation, which, I mean, I'm in the make money online industry. So, I mean, that's just how it is sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we really need to be focusing. And I try to encourage people to look at long term. Are we making a decision for the next eight weeks or six months or like six years. And you have a long time frame. You can make different decisions that are actually better and will lead to more positive results in the future. So can you talk about how the intersection of like using market muse fits in with a long-term content vision? Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great question. And what I'll say is kind of, I'll speak to the don't, right? I think if you're not, doing that. I think if you have an ex explicit plan that you're trying to get rich quick with this site, right? You're going to take a lot of risks that you're not going to take if you are working at a large entity or a business that you wish to grow with content. If the business is content and there's no 
other way. I mean, it's almost like a direct flip type content or arbitrage business. A lot of times it can be tempting to try to get rich quick. Um, but what I, and I've analyzed all of these ways that people do this. And Aki's seen some of this data. It's, it's terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying. And we also get a lot of people that come to us, frankly, for a shoulder to cry on um, because they've looked at some correlative systems. And I won't go further than that for doing this. But the examples, always ask for the examples of those sites. As you'll see, they have huge swings, huge. And if you work for a reasonably sized company, if you work for a startup, if you work for um, you know, an agency and you're servicing clients, what we're seeing in our market is people who have learned from that space, applying that to those markets, and it's having a devastating impact. Um, they're ebbing and flowing with Google updates quite frequently. Um, they're building houses of cards that aren't based on that foundation of expertise and authority. Um, and that's a big problem. So if you're comfortable moving on once your site crashes, you know, you can try to get rich quick and build a, like a CD laddering uh, process. And you know, I've seen it work with portfolio builders. Um, and, but you, you're, the problem is you're actually building a CD ladder that some of the ladder rungs are going to fall out to zero. Um, and so you've got to do a lot of things that, you know, are stealthy um, and, and not so tactical. When you build for the future, first of all, I, getting rich quick in content sites is twofold. This is the big mistake that I see. It's direct cash, but it's also you're building something you can sell. And one of the biggest parts of evaluating an affiliate site for real, and I know this from people who have businesses that evaluate affiliate sites in detail, it's does this have longevity? Is this is the quality there, or is this? Am I buying on a spike? Uh, and people will not buy on spikes anymore. They're too smart for that. Ask anyone at any of the brokerages. It's something that everyone's looking for. They are not buying on spikes. They're waiting for um, signals that this has longevity because they don't want to buy and die. I mean, that, and that was what was happening. If you look at the history of sales from two years ago, um, whether you're looking at you know. Know, any one of the brokerages, um, you know, now you're seeing a lot bigger multipliers for sites that have stood the test of time um, and are written from the lens of expertise. And I, everyone in your audience should be thinking about that uh, because um, that's where the big money is going right now. Those are where the big multiples are going. It's real high quality content sites with communities, with social channel traffic. You know, there are true active, comprehensive portfolio uh, play from a channel development perspective. Um, the SEO traffic only thin content arbitrage sites. I mean, you're knocking like five or six multi X multipliers off from where you could be if you did it right. Um, so you've got to make that cost benefit analysis. Well said. Yeah, and we, actually, Oh, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. Oh, oh no, just to, just to tack on comment. The, we, we've seen a lot of challenges with your money, your life, sites and the just the level of risk that that business owner takes on and it when when somebody goes into that business i'm not saying that that's something that everybody should avoid because there there is value there of course but it also corresponds with a significant level of risk and we've seen people fairly or unfairly be penalized and then we have to help mop it up and sometimes it's possible sometimes it's just it's kind of like a you know sometimes we just have to move on into a different category and 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 that that's been just something we've that's just a level of risk that somebody takes on um versus other topics where it's just things that have been just kind of flowing and building compounding year over year and it just becomes more and more valuable over time those are those are great and and those are always success stories uh, that's genius. I'm glad you brought that up. And if you know you're in a toxic zone or a zone that will have been flow a lot, um, you got to also question. And, and the sad thing about this is um, we've seen in various spaces um, that people are acting like aggressive affiliates, but they're doing it on businesses that require sustained success. Um, and the outputs are devastating. I mean, the output of believing that you can trick Google over time for a real business, no, you can't. You will get caught. 
and uh, doing things that are, you know, term frequency focused or very correlation focused over time. It's just, there's no longevity there. And we can show you piles of examples. Um, it's just hard in this industry. It's really hard to show examples without calling people out. Um, so we really focus on how to do it right. Um, and, and building trust, um, that this is going to be the path to longevity. Right on. All right. Well, I have to get paid by a sponsor. So I'm going to roll the ad and, uh, guys, we'll just sit quietly for a couple minutes here. Hopefully it won't disconnect or anything like that. And this is uh, brought to you by ODYS, Otis for age domain. So let's roll this clip. As normal, we have a pretty amazing age domain to take a look at from Otis. This one is brewapp.com. That's B-R-E-W-A-P-P.com. And the thing is, I... I have full reign to pick whichever domains and do these ads however I want, which is really cool. The thing is, I gravitate towards beer and stuff, as uh, listeners know. I am a home brewer. I, I drink beer myself, and I really enjoy it. So this is a domain that is uh, pretty old. In fact, if it was a person, it would be old enough to drink. It was founded in 1997. That means it's 24 years old, which is really old. I can see some old uh, like screenshots and other iterations of this. And it looks like a, I don't know, one of those GeoCities kind of websites from back in the day, or like I hand-coded it in college. And it is a .com domain. It has a pretty amazing set of backlinks from big sites. We're talking New York Times, tripadvisor.com, uh, although it's .tr. And well, there's a tripadvisor.ca. We have a group on the not beer advocate, TripAdvisor, uh, several sort of local companies and newspapers. We also have Northern Brewer, Homebrew Talk, BYO, and several others that are so tightly niched. I mean, the, those are magazines and websites that I used to and still currently go to. I, and I've ordered uh, thousands of dollars from Northern Brewer personally, and there are backlinks to this site from the ones I just mentioned. You can see that there's many more. Now, I can tell you about some of the other uh, stats and some of the other backlinks and stuff. But the thing is, if you pick up the domains that I've been covering recently from Otis, they are beer related. You literally could pull together a few of these domains, redirect them in a, an appropriate way, or build directly on the most powerful site, perhaps, and write and have really like a lifestyle blog and affiliate content on homebrewing beer. There's tons and tons of informational articles that you could write about. In fact, I brewed some beer uh, last Friday. The weather was good and I haven't brewed in a while, so I knew I needed to fire up the kettle. And I brewed a table strength saison and I was doing a little research on that specific beer style and some of the low gravity iterations. And those are the kind of topics that you literally could cover on this site and monetize with ads like with Ezoic or AdSense. Or if you're a little bit more ambitious, you actually could approach some of the companies that I mentioned like BYO, Northern Brewer, there's uh, morebeer.com, uh, Midwest Brewing. There's a lot of different homebrew shops online and they have affiliate programs. So you could hook up with them or you could just run display ads directly with a company because it's so tightly related. And the fact is, I know a few people with uh, homebrew related sites and gosh, I want, they should pick up these sites. It, it makes a lot of sense to get a site, especially with the history of 24 years. And quickly, I'll just hit you with some of the other SEO metrics. 
Majestic has a uh, trust flow of 19 and a citation flow of 28. Hrefs domain rating is 19. So not as high as I would have expected for the domain rating, but they're so niche focused that I, I think that's more important. Moz has a domain authority of 34 and a page authority of 31. And we have unique referring domains of 144 plus. It is still indexed by Google. And gosh, this looks like a pretty good domain. Thanks to my friends over at Otis, O-D-Y-S. If you join using my affiliate link, you get $100 in your account. It's one of those deals you have to go and apply, provide some information before you're accepted in. So there's a, a little bit of friction there. Uh, there must be some reason they do that. You know, they're, they're good marketers. They're smart folks. I know Alex over there has been doing a great job and a lot of people really enjoy the domains. And these are age domains with uh, backlinks and strong branding. So they curate these sites. And I think that's why you see certain sites like brewapp.com on there. So... I'm going to send it back to the interview. That's a great domain on that, on that ad. Somebody needs to go buy that. <laughs> I know. I have a friend. I should have emailed him first, but I already recorded the spot. Hopefully, he'll he'll see it, but he's potentially could use something like that. So, very cool. Well, we got a few more questions. I see Michael uh, asked, I'm wondering if there is a value to use Market Muse to further improve the edge data on content objects to aid uh, um, ontology. Ontology. Knowledge graphs. Knowledge graphs. Okay. Stretching my um, verbal limits here with words. And okay. ML retrieval, more buzzwords. All right, guys, what's the answer to this question? The funny thing I'm chuckling about is this is exactly, this is actually the very first use case that Jeff and I ever talked about is pool party. Uh, And, and yes, (laughs) short answer is yes. And the long answer is we can also do uh, more custom kind of data dumps from the knowledge graph system to help in that. So that's something where we should talk about it um, offline, but, but the, so the the data we would use is mostly written into the software, but we would do some large scale exports and scripts and stuff. Yeah, one thing I'll add is um, so one thing most people don't know, as Aki mentioned, the, this technology that was built by Google, bought by Google, um, some of the Freebase, uh, the taxonomy that uh, the original taxonomy that Google has. Man- manually ported, by the way, they manually ported it. Um, and then they've added to, um, you're starting to see that manifest a lot more. A lot of the folks probably listening to this are search engine optimization professionals um, in SERP features or search engine results paid features. And that was the second part of Mike's question. Uh, when you see the right rail, when you see like uh, a box on there that has other related concepts, um, if you're on your phone, you'll see the topic view sometimes all of that's being driven by that type of technology and you can actually look at those search engine result page features and decode them which is kind of fun so i can actually decode that right rail and know where in the knowledge graph it came from and that's when stuff gets very sexy so we are uh, you know we're we're working on manifesting that for people so they can actually see that you know if you go type in boston terrier into google the right rail has other related breeds, right? Where does that come from? Um, and that's something that we are, you know, able to kind of get to a deeper level um, than most technologies. So in a very similar way to the way that they do. A lot of people are typing that word in. Search volume is going to spike. You better go write content on it. No, I'm just exactly. So <laughs> we are, uh, the hour has flown by. So we, we're coming towards the end and I, I wanted to ask a few more on topic things, but instead I'm going to ask off topic things. So Jeff, you and I went to Georgia Tech, sorry, Aki, I'm going to leave you out mm-hmm. momentarily. Um, but I'm curious, what years were you there? And then we could talk about um, the dorms and dining hall stuff, uh, you know, just nor- normal stuff. I was there the same years you were there. So I got in 97 fall. And I got out summer of 01. 
uh, okay. computer, computer science program. Um, and then I stuck around for a bit. Uh, but I was, I started with knowledge storm while I was still in school. So I didn't change my lifestyle until about you left in 2003. Um, okay. but yeah, it was, that's right about the same time. So, yeah, right. right and I, I was a little, yeah, I was a little slower as like the six and a half year co-op program. And towards the end, I, I was thinking, well, I could go to the real world or I can, uh, take 12 hours a semester here and stretch it out. So I, I did that instead. So where, where did you right. live like the first couple years? I was in Fitton over on the West side initially. That's awesome. Uh, I only spent one quarter in a dorm over on the West side. And then I spent time amongst, uh, on campus in housing and then home park. So I lived in home park for most of my time there. And then I, uh, so I was, I was, I got, got in that spot as quickly as I could. I had the good fortune of having uh, uh, older brothers who went there. So I was able to um, get things like parking passes uh, a little bit earlier than I was supposed to and, and other stuff like that. So anyway, but yeah, that was, that was my experience. Uh, we, we were hacking that, hacking those systems early on, uh, but yeah, it was, it's an amazing place. And, 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 you know, you, you see that with, with, with Georgia tech, um, you know, the, the ecosystem there, especially for startups, has gotten so exciting. And so Aki and I have a lot of great connections in that are Georgia Tech grads that have, people have started businesses. I mean, you've got, you know, a couple of the most amazing incubators in the world now coming out of Georgia Tech. So. Yeah, and they let me go there, too. So it's uh, it's good, good company to be in overall. And I haven't been on I haven't been back on campus in many years. I bet I would hardly recognize a lot of the, the spots. So no, have fine. you been recently for any of the startup activities or whatever? Um, I have uh, just to visit folks. Um, I am a big college baseball fan. So I've been to uh, snuck into a few games this year. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Like uh, basically across the highway, they own the entire many blocks. Those were like, ruins basically uh when we were there when we first started there now it's all built up there's an amazing hotel um all kinds of businesses and that's where tech square or uh that's where uh, the the main uh, tech square and, and all that is is based on basically what used to be a scary place to walk around and is now you know a thriving ecosystem for startups is pretty wild so yeah and georgia hotel is all brand new i mean yeah it's it's it's, it's worth going back and uh and they've the the beauty and the money they put in there is, is, is very inspiring because you won't recognize it if you haven't been there in a while. No. And in fact, I parked in some of those ruins and I remember one late night I was coming back and I had to go through that tunnel, um, the under tunnel. the highway. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it, I mean, bad stuff happened there. Right. I mean, it, it was not a place to be. And I'm like, why am I parking here now? It's yeah. It's like an, it's a pretty nice neighborhood overall. <laughs> I've, I've been through that tunnel. I know it's, uh, it's kind of scary. <laughs> I have a few nightmares about it. I had somebody get a, a beer can thrown at him uh, coming out of that funnel, tunnel one time, uh, took it on the head. Uh, so, yeah, that's a fun story. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah, you, yeah, you don't want to be in that tunnel. <laughs> yeah, I, I take it it was empty. No one would throw out a good good beer can. But... Oh, no, it was full. It left a nice shiner. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure and I'll let you guys both um, sort of sign off. And if you have any, you know, parting words or uh, anything like that, where people can find you, all those details, I'll just turn it over. Uh, Aki, why don't you go first? I'll just say go blue. And <laughs> uh, if any Michiganders are out there and just email me, Aki at markymuse.com. Yeah. One good fortunate thing about being at Georgia Tech, uh, grad is that we don't typically have to play Michigan in any sports because that would be real bad in most cases. But anyway, uh, yeah, Jeffrey underscore coil on Twitter, uh, Jeff at marketmuse.com. Any content challenge, we've probably seen it. Um, so please give us a call. We love this stuff. We do it all day, every day. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, and thank you so much, Doug. Thanks again to Market Muse. Those guys are just, they're really nice. They're class acts. And I was introduced to them by, who was it? I think it was my friend, Jesse Lakes over at Genius Link. 
who is also a really nice guy. And it's funny, I mean, I've, I guess at this point, I've been around the internet marketing and SEO world for a few years, about eight or so, seven. And it's, it's strange because I started off with nothing. No one knew who I was at all. And I somehow stuck around like a cockroach or something. And just slowly over time, over time, you, you end up meeting some people and, and you meet more people. And it turns out it's, uh, it's kind of a, a smaller network. A lot of people know other people and uh, most folks are only a couple jumps away. It's pretty amazing. As I listened back to that, I heard that Jeff's mic was a little hot. I'm not sure what was going on and maybe I should have prefaced the episode with that. But the strangest thing, I've done quite a few live streams and even more interviews probably. And I don't know why his mic did that because we uh, did a sound check. He changed mics, but with all the different systems out there and uh, well, you know how technology is and computers are, I it sounded like maybe it switched back over to the not as good mic because I think he had uh, like a blue Yeti or something that is sufficient to do high quality audio. So I'm not sure what happened there. And I, uh, you know, when you're live, when you're recording a live YouTube session, you try not to go back and forth too much with uh, technical issues while you're live. I mean, when you're live, there's really not much you can do. You just have to roll with it and hope everything turns out. So yeah, as I listened to it again, I was thinking that doesn't sound as good as it did. I hope it wasn't too bad. Well, and one other thing, I'm thinking more and more about audio equipment. I recently picked up the Shure MV7. So these are the really radio quality, very nice looking uh, microphones. I'm, I'm looking at mine right now. This is the first time that I've recorded on it, but I have a new podcast out called Mile High Fi that I talk about personal finance and financial independence with my friend Carl Jensen. And we've been recording on my other microphones, Sure SM58s, and using a Zoom PodTrack P4, which has been fantastic. And we're going to be doing some interviews, some in-person interviews. So I needed to get a couple new mics anyway. And I was seeing ads, all right? These ads worked on me. And I was seeing ads because I knew these are sort of the fancier microphones, right? It's like a smaller version of the four or $500 microphones that you see on like Joe Rogan. He uses like the Sure, I think it's SM7B, something like that. I didn't get those microphones, so I don't know what they are. They're a little pricey for me, but these MV7s, they have a USB hookup and XLR hookup and I thought it was sort of like the best of both worlds. The sound is a little bit better. They're a little bit, they're a little bit nicer uh, in in a couple ways. Though one cool thing with the SM58s, those are like the uh, metal housing, and it has uh, just a really robust feel. Like you can tr- probably drop them on concrete and they would probably still work fine. This one is a little bit more uh, fragile. Hopefully I'm not going to be taking it apart or moving it around so much. But anyway, I'm excited about the new microphone and audio is obviously for a podcast. It's pretty darn important. So if you watch some of the YouTube videos coming up soon, you will notice an upgraded microphone and I'll still have my old ATR 2100 that honestly, I'll probably still use it fairly often. It does a really good job. And for traveling, it's going to be a little bit more durable. It's going to be a little bit smaller and lighter than the new microphones that I have here. And I mean, the fact is I've already driven all across the country with the ATR 2100 that I think is about four or five years old already. A little scratched up, has some uh, has some use in it. Any thousands of hours I've talked on that thing. All right, I'm just rambling on now, so I'm going to let you go. Have a good day out there. We'll catch you on the next episode.